Welcome into another edition of Gator Bites. I'm Lauren Rue filling in for Denny Thompson. Ryan the Hacker Green joins me as he always is a part of Gator Bites. Ryan, how are you? Lauren, I'm good. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. So, crazy week with the players, free agency, NCAA tournament next week. This is a jam-packed March. Oh, there's no question about it. I mean, as you mentioned, free agency, the players here locally, uh, Gator Spring Football underway, and you have March Madness, Gator Hoops trying desperately to get into the field of 68. And, oh, by the way, the Gator baseball team, 20 runs against Florida State, down 6 nothing. Very rarely do you win a game by 13 after that. But what a job by Kevin O'Sullivan and the boys a couple nights ago. Let's talk about some free agency news. There has been some incredible things going on over the past couple of days. We've talked locally about the Jacksonville Jaguars picking up Nick Foles. OBJ ends up in Cleveland. But let's focus on the Gators, former Gators that are in the league and got new homes. Let's start first with offensive tackle Trent Brown, who's headed out to Oakland. Yeah, Trent Brown is a guy we've talked a lot about on XL Primetime. He's a guy that, Lauren, he was just a guy in Gainesville. I mean, he's a big body, but I didn't certainly think that he was destined for greatness. But goodness gracious, what a career Trent Brown has had to this point. Uh, making a nice career for himself. Obviously, gets a Super Bowl ring last year in New England, protecting Tom Brady's blind side. And he is one of the first guys to agree to terms in free agency. Four years, $66 million with the Oakland Raiders. $36 million of that is guaranteed. So congratulations to Trent Brown. Again, a guy that was in Gainesville, and he started, and he played a lot of games. By no means did I think one day he's going to be one of the highest-paid offensive tackles in league history, yet that is what he did earlier this week when he agreed to that deal with Oakland. That The money he's getting, what would you say, four years, 66? Four years, 66, and uh, 36 of that is guaranteed. Are we starting to see a shift in guys that are not necessarily the skill positions, if you will, finally get some love and, and get these contracts maybe they deserve? Well, I'll tell you what's crazy. Leon Searcy, who is on uh, XL Primetime weekdays with us, I asked him. He was with the Steelers, went to a Super Bowl, signed with the Jacksonville Jaguars in 1996. Was a really good offensive tackle, obviously, when he played um, back in his prime. Signed a five-year deal for $17.5 million. And $5 million <laughs> of that was guaranteed. Fast forward 23 years later, yeah. and Trent Brown's getting $66 million with 36 of that guaranteed. It's crazy, but it's the way the NFL is. Uh, love Leon. He was worth a lot more than $17.5 million, but that's what the going rate was two and a half decades ago. It has drastically changed. Let's talk about a former Jaguar who was um, found another team last season and Dante Fowler with the Rams. They will re-sign and hold on to him for a little bit longer. See this as a long-term place for Dante Fowler Jr.? I thought Dante Fowler was good with the Rams last year, and maybe his numbers didn't indicate it, but... Heck, he basically got him into the NFC Championship game, or in the Super Bowl, rather. He, along with the refs, of course, in New Orleans that day. <laughs> but Fowler's the guy that hit Drew Brees, causing the interception in overtime. Rams went on to kick a field goal to get to the Super Bowl. I think he only had three sacks in eight games with, with L.A., but playing next to Aaron Donald with all the other talent on that Rams defense, I really like Dante Fowler out there. He could have become a free agent. Instead, signs a one-year deal to stay in L.A., kind of a one-year prove-it deal. I get a feeling if Dante Fowler turns into the player, Lauren, that I believe he is, he is going to get a huge payday somewhere next offseason. All right, let's stick with football, but let's go back to the college game. Spring ball. I can't believe we're already in spring ball, but uh, the second week of March here we are. The quarterback competition 
Is there an actual competition? Well, that's the interesting thing. Dan Mullen addressed the media, I guess, on Monday this week. And, and, and the thought is, and still is, Lauren, that Felipe Franks is the guy. But, yeah, I mean, look, Dan Mullen said every position's open. There is going to be competition, whether it's from Emory Jones, whether it's from Jalen Jones. Those are the two young men that are going to be giving Felipe Franks the most competition. Keep in mind, Kyle Trask is still there as well. This is what I'll remind Gator fans of. I know everybody's excited about Felipe Franks. I know he ended the year very, very well in a dominating win over Florida State, also played well in the bowl win over Michigan. But it wasn't that long ago. Here we are in mid-March. Go back to early November. Felipe Franks was benched in the homecoming loss to Missouri. He was benched. He was not going to be the starting quarterback against South Carolina. But then Kyle Trask broke his foot in the practice leading in to South Carolina. So Felipe Franks gets back in there. And the rest is history. Now everybody thinks he's great. I hope he keeps getting better. I hope what we saw at the end of last year is a precursor to how he'll be in 2019. But I do believe there is something to the effect that Dan Mullen went out and found Emory Jones. That was his guy. Dan Mullen went out and got Jalen Jones. That was his guy. Felipe Franks was not Dan Mullen's guy. And you can say everything you want. Yeah, he has more experience than the other two. And yeah, I believe he'll be the opening day starter. But I also believe there is serious competition from both Emory Jones and Jalen Jones for playing time this fall. What about Frank's game needs to improve before next season? Uh, I mean, his accuracy throwing the football, um, I, I think he did a better job towards the end of last year not turning the ball over. That was an issue for him. And I think he became more of a willing runner. And look, in Dan Mullen's offense, Lauren, as you know, you got to be a willing runner. You have got to lower your head down, lower your shoulder pads down, and lay the boom on some people. That is what is required with Dan Mullen and his offensive scheme. And Felipe, I don't think, enjoyed doing that very much towards the beginning of the year. I still don't think he loves it, but he just got better at it mm-hmm. as the year went on. So I think that needs to improve. But if Felipe Franks goes out this year and plays like he did against Florida State last year, the Gators are going to win a lot of games. Yeah. If he goes out and plays like he did against Missouri, the Gators are going to be losing some games, and there's going to be another quarterback issue and maybe another benching in the near future. Every year there's turnovers with turnover with college teams, in particular for the Gators. Who are some of the guys that are going to – some of the bigger names that, that will have to be replaced this season? I, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is going to be a big loss on the defense. Uh, I don't blame him for turning pro. He had a good combine up in Indianapolis. But you're going to have to find somebody to replace a playmaker in the secondary. I think maybe Trey Dean could potentially be that guy. I loved what Trey Dean did last year as a true freshman. Started eight games. Maybe he is the next – Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Also on defense, you lose both Ja'Kai Polite and C.C. Jefferson. So you're going to have to get some guys on the outside that can rush the quarterback. Uh, We'll see about a guy like Jeremiah Moon. We'll see about a guy like Antonius Clayton. I also love Andrew Shatfield, the uh, the redshirt freshman that's going to be available this year. So there are some guys, but losing Gardner-Johnson, losing C.C. Jefferson, losing Ja'Kai Polite, it is going to be interesting to see what Todd Grantham can do with younger guys that have to fill a major, major role. And then on the offensive side of the ball, you lose four starters on the offensive line. I mean, that, that's a huge deal. Yeah. You lose Martez Ivy, you lose Jawan Taylor, you lose Fred Johnson, just to name a few. So a lot of young guys are going to be counted on to be protecting Felipe Franks or Emory Jones or whomever's playing quarterback. And this spring is going to go a long way into determining who those starters along the offensive line are. But anytime you lose four guys along your line, that is certainly cause for some concern. Did you, did Ja'Kai Polite come out early? 
He did, and apparently, well, not apparently, he had a terrible combine. Right. By all indications. Do you think he made a mistake? I don't think he made a mistake because how much better are you going to get at rushing the passer? I mean, he was great at rushing the passer last year. He he was dominant in games. The thing with Ja'Kai Polite, it wasn't the drills that people were upset about at the combine. It was his interviews. Yeah. And and some of the things he said during his interviews, then he did media interviews where he was saying, this team asked me this and that team asked me that. That's kind of a no-no. You don't really get into specifics. When you have you keep it generic meetings. and just yeah. right, yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't kind of air the air the laundry that's let out in those team interviews. So Jakai Polite did not do himself any favors in the interview room. I still think he has a lot of talent on the field, but based on what we saw in Indianapolis, right. Lauren, he might need to do some maturing there and uh, yeah. you know in the mental aspects of the game. In terms of newcomers expected to maybe make a splash or at least get noticed in Gainesville, who are some guys that you're going to keep an eye on this season? Yeah, tr- I mean, like I said, Trey Dean, I wouldn't call him a newcomer because he started eight games, but I think he's going to be the next playmaker in the defensive backfield. Andrew Shatfield, as I said, from uh, the South Florida area, I think he's going to have every opportunity to have a big impact. And then along the offensive line, I'm interested in Richard freshman Richard Garage. He's a guy that Florida battled and battled and battled and got back in 2018. He redshirted last year. He was a four-star offensive tackle. It would not surprise me if he is going to start on the left side to replace Martez Ivy. That's the thing about Martez Ivy. Maybe he wasn't as good as many Gator fans thought he was going to be coming out of Apopka, but Martez Ivy was a starter for four years. You never worried about mm-hmm. him. You inserted him in there, and he started, and and that was that. Now that he's gone, you got to replace a guy like Martez Ivy. I think retro freshman Richard Garage is going to have every opportunity to do that. With it being March and spring football is underway, that also means that March Madness is underway. Conference tournaments are in the works this week. Florida will play Arkansas tomorrow afternoon. The Gators not doing themselves any favor there. Uh, Ryan down the last part of the stretch, 17 and 14, 9 and 9 in conference play. How many games do they need to win in the the SEC tournament to be kind of I don't want to say a lock, but not give anybody any question as to whether or not they make the NCAA tournament. Well, this time of year, it's weird because you go on the different websites, all the different bracketologies, if you will. Florida's all over the board. For example, Jerry Palm, CBSSports.com, he has Florida as the first team out, has them as the 69th team, if mm-hmm. you will, the first team uh, that's bubble gets burst. Yet you go over to ESPN.com, Joe Lenardi, who everybody kind of refers to as the gospel this time of year, he has Florida as an 11 seed and not even one of the last four teams in. So Lenardi, when he does his analytics, he crunches the numbers. He loves the Gators. And I look at this Gator team, 17 and 14, as you mentioned, 9 and 9. I don't know if you deserve, Lauren, to make the NCAA tournament when you lose that game to Georgia. At yeah, home. Georgia is horrifically bad. Does that take away, though, from the five or six game winning streak that they put together? It doesn't take away. I mean, look, beating Alabama on the road, beating LSU on the road, those were enormous. Even the tough loss to LSU at home was a good showing. You cannot lose to a Georgia team that was 2-16 and 16 in conference play. 2-16. and 16. That's terrible. And they come into Gainesville, and, and, and quite frankly, they beat you up uh-huh. on a Saturday night. So if the Gators miss the tournament, they have absolutely no one to blame but themselves. Having said that, if you look at Joe Lenardi, I think it's very simple. If you beat Arkansas mm-hmm. in the SEC tournament, you're probably getting in. If you lose to Arkansas, 
you're probably going to be a one seed in the NIT yeah. and be hosting, you know, Wright State in Gainesville in a, in a week or so. So it all comes down to Florida and Arkansas. And if you were to beat the Razorbacks, Florida beat them earlier this year. If you were to beat Arkansas again, then to me, everything else is gravy from that point forward. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, Florida to me, and I made this point on primetime, they do not deserve to get into the NCAA tournament if you can't beat Arkansas. The the committee won't give them the business. Florida won't be getting the shaft from the NCAA selection room. None of that. Gator fans, it's very simple. If you can't beat Arkansas, yeah. a very average Arkansas team on a neutral floor, you don't deserve to get into the tournament. And if Florida goes out there and takes care of business and wins the game against Arkansas, then I do believe they deserve to get in the NCAA tournament. It's funny. You know, you play 30-plus games for the Gators. comes down to one. Yeah. One game. Win and you're probably in. Lose and you're probably out. And the one point I made, and, and, and you can – I'm interested to see your thoughts on this. A couple of the guys on primetime didn't agree with me necessarily. I think Florida, if they beat Arkansas, they're in a better position than they were – a week and a half ago. A week and a half ago when already had them as an eight and maybe a nine seed. An eight or nine, yeah, you don't have as tough a first-round matchup, but you're playing Duke in round oh, two. Oh, right, right, yeah. If you're an 11, yeah, a little tougher matchup in round one. You play a six, but then you play a three yeah. in round two. To me, Lauren, an 11 is a better position to be in than an eight or nine. I think I think you're spot on. And, and more to the point, that eight-nine matchup when – we're picking our brackets. That is one of the hardest games to pick. You might as well, you could flip flop those either one. Now, does that mean that there's a, a more competitive advantage and you have a better chance to win? I have no idea. But, but being sometimes those eleven seeds are there's a lot of upsets, if you will, for mm-hmm. those uh, eleven seeds. So, yeah, if you can get through the first round and if and if the team you play that your parent because it's eleven and. Four, right? It's, uh, it's 11, six plays an 11, 11, and if an 11, oh, 11 wins, yeah, they probably right. play the three. Um, then you give yourself a much better advantage. I'm with you on that. Yeah, sure. and you look, you're going to have to play good teams in the NCAA tournament at some point, but if I'm an eight seed and I win round yeah. one, There's, and I know I have Duke yeah. in round two, yeah. that's not as appealing as if I'm an 11 seed and win in round one, well, and I'm playing you know, Marquette in round two. I also think there's something to kind of being the underdog when you're that 11 seed and and playing up on that versus literally when you're an 8-9 seed. It is just, that was, those are one of the stickiest situations to be in. If Mike White doesn't take this team to the tournament, how much trouble is he in? I, I don't think he's in trouble, and I'll tell you why. Um, this team was dead in the water a month ago. Absolutely dead in the water. Yeah. And going into Alabama and winning, that's huge. Going into LSU and winning, that's huge. Now, you're going to lose a lot of talent off of this team. Kayvon Allen, Kavarius Hayes, Jalen Hudson are all out the door. You got the three guys coming back with Locke and Nimhard and, and Johnson. You also got a couple of McDonald's All-Americans coming in. I think Stokes is playing better as well. So I do believe the future is bright for Florida. Having said that, if they don't make the tournament next year, then I do believe Mike White's going to start feeling some pressure. All right, well, Hacker, I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me sit in uh, this week's Gator Bites. Denny will be back with you next week, I'm sure. That's you'll right. Have... Yeah, Lauren, anytime. Always enjoy it. Yeah, you'll have plenty to talk about. Oh, quickly, I did watch that baseball game last night between Florida and Florida State. Is there a hated – I mean, those two teams hate each other like the football teams do, and I would assume the basketball teams do. Yes, baseball yeah. is, is very, very <laughs> uh, comparable to the rivalry in basketball and football. And, again, I've done, I don't know if I've ever seen a baseball game even high school, collegiately, or, or Major League Baseball. Where you come back from six runs down. Right, you're down six runs, 
and you win by 13. It, it's incredible what happened. College baseball can be very tricky, that's for sure. I'll just say this much. The fact that in the terms of college baseball, you have two teams that are three hours from each other. Is that fair? Roughly two, two and a half, two and a half hours. Out, where it's the number six and number seven teams in the country, you're doing something right, for sure. Oh, there's sure. no question. And, and look, that's the first matchup. They're going to see each other again here in Jacksonville. They'll play each other again at Dick Hauser Stadium in Tallahassee. It's always a lot of fun when the Gators and Knowles get together. All right, Ryan, have a great day. Thanks, Lauren.